Welcome. This is Mac. And this is Marie. And uh, we wanted to start off today's podcast um, by our mission and our description of our, our podcast now that this is episode two. Basically, we're two teachers of high school immigrant newcomer students, and the purpose is to be offering strategies tools and research to rewire the teaching of those. We're sharing how we do this in our own classrooms while constantly seeking out others to collaborate within the larger movement to build classrooms that center around culturally responsive instruction, translanguaging, and intercomprehension. And basically our goal is to support teachers to create classrooms that are more driven by student agency within that, which putting their voices and, and choices at the heart of it. Yep. So thanks for tuning in. And today we're introducing the first part of a four-part series that is titled, What a Student-Driven Class Can Look Like. So today, part one is going to be how you would establish the norms and routines within a student-driven class. So um, I think we spoke a little bit about this last time, that Mac Mm -hmm. is with the 11th graders and I'm with ninth and 10th, so usually ninth and 10th are more new um, language-wise and 11th is a little bit more advanced. So yeah. in September in both classes, right, we started out with a book fair where we kind of broke up our library and laid everything out um, across the tables and allowed the students to peruse all of the texts that were sorted by genre. Um, and they were able to sign up for genres that interested them and we also administered a, or distributed, I guess, a student interest survey where students were able to tell us more about who they are as a person and things that they're interested in and that we could kind of, one, that would guide their choices in selecting a book and two, that would help us know a little bit more about them so that when we conference and try to figure out like what would be good choices for them, that was some information that we already had about them. Yeah, and when, when I did the, the book fair, I think some of us also included brief little descriptions about the book that would help them get mm-hmm. more of an idea outside of just the cover or the blurb in the back, mm-hmm. um, especially because so many students have never really read a book on their own. And so choosing a book was really, was daunting for a lot of students. Yeah. And even just learning like on the back of the cover, it gives you a brief summary was mm-hmm. basically a feature of a book publishing that a lot of students weren't aware of. So that was almost like a lesson in of itself. Right. Um, and then as because we are libraries have these very cute little signs that Matt has designed um, to identify the different genres and um, different types of, um, you know, ideas or themes that the text might talk about. Those were also helpful, I think, in helping kids um, choose text at, in the Yeah, maybe that's something setup. we can share on the blog. Oh, yeah, that would be great. Um, so in establishing the norms and routines within our classroom, um, the book fair really helped to support the independent reading because we do both independent and group reading to Mm -hmm. give students opportunities to do both. And we started off the year though with uh, group reading and establishing group protocols uh, because basically we really wanted our classrooms to feel like a place where students were coming not just to read, but to engage with others through a text. We know that that's a feature of the Common Core, but like 
just the idea of like learning a language, learning academic um, language in particular, really requires constant conversation. Mm-hmm. And we had had um, experience doing this in a way where we didn't have to create and rely on complex roles. Yes. I know that some teachers really like roles because they feel very um, finite and there's a level of accountability, Mm -hmm. but I find them cumbersome. And more importantly, it really limits for, in a lot of ways, what students feel comfortable or willing to say. If they feel like, oh, I'm the note taker or my job is just to make sure we're talking about literary elements. Mm -hmm. And so we basically rely on three basic rules for working within a group around a text. So the way that we do that is um, we teach kids into the three different roles and three different rules throughout the like initial week. The first rule is simply to read out loud together. We really value um, student voices, but also fluency as a part of comprehension. Mm -hmm. And we know that a lot of our students, especially newcomers, um, <clears throat> feel really hesitant about speaking out loud and we want to just take away that fear by, by inviting them to jump right in and we do it in different ways like in my class um, just so it doesn't get super loud I encourage at least two students to read out loud within the group so that um, one everybody can hear someone and two if there's a word that they pronounce differently an opportunity to stop and discuss mm-hmm. um, and I know you do it a little bit differently in your class right yeah I do like to start with the choral reading just so that they experience it you know like that that's where our, our starting point and then once mm-hmm. they've internalized the the three um, rules I allow them to kind of adapt the out loud reading as suits them best so some students choose to um, like one student reads um, you know, a certain amount, and then they kind of rotate reading because they all have to read aloud at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but they still have to be at the same point in the text. So, like, if student A is in reading from paragraph one, everybody has to be following along in paragraph one and still stop if there's a question about what a word means or um, the pronunciation of it, like you said. Right. And I think that also gets into. Um how we measure or how we um, encourage accountability because it's really accountability first to each other to the group Mm -hmm. and to understanding the text and the way that we measure that one is by obviously checking in with the groups but rule number two is that students are required to stop the group and talk about whatever's on their mind related to the text and then they annotate that discussion to reflect like how deeply they went into the text and it's a a way for us to measure like how often are they stopping um, and what are they stopping to discuss? Is it just on the word level or are they writing down questions and understandings? And it really is insightful for us because I know that when I'm walking around and I see kids annotating, it shows me that they realize that there's meaning to be gotten from the text. And because they're doing it as a group, they realize that they're getting that meaning from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and and part of why that's so important, I feel like in our school, mm-hmm. um, the annotation and the discussion is because, at like many many schools, even schools that don't have newcomers, 
you are always going to have a variety of levels in the classroom. You're going to have right. the students who are more confident speakers, the students who have some literacy in their native language, or who are just more fearless when it comes to trying new things. And then you're going to have the students who are more self-conscious, who don't want to speak out loud or are uncomfortable or unsure of how to pronounce words. And yeah. so by saying everybody for contributing something, mm-hmm. it lowers the stigma. And yeah, I know with it, in, in some ways, like I, we, I feel really lucky because at our school, I feel like there really isn't a lot of um, teasing. But I think that at schools where there is teasing or there is that extra support that's needed to encourage um, cooperation and respect, we have rule three, mm-hmm. which <clears throat> basically says it's important to be resourceful, supportive, and encouraging. Um, and so that's a way for us to hold students accountable to speaking out if someone feels uncomfortable and why. and. You know, if uh, a student feels like they get stuck and, you know, they unfortunately often internalize that I'm supposed to just wait for the teacher to help figure this challenge out. Mm-hmm. And so the three rules really work together to kind of um, create like a nucleus within the class. Um, each group kind of operating on their own with a shared goal of understanding a text. And yeah, if I can just speak to what you're saying in terms of like when we're talking about equity and access you know so often Mm -hmm. we think oh this kid is super high performing students intermediate and this is like a low performing student by holding them all equally accountable it kind of um it's also a way of kind of breaking down those classifications in their own minds because Mm -hmm. a lot of kids um, especially when they literally just came from another country like a week ago might be super intimidated to speak as you mentioned Um, but for instance over the summer last summer there was a a student that was more hesitant to speak out and he was kind of trying to not really follow the rules because he didn't you know he didn't want to seem like he didn't know things but then there Mm. came something in the text and he was able to say oh I know what that is it's about blah 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 and all the kids were like oh great you know so it's, it's almost a it's also a way for students who might be seen as you said they might see themselves this way or other students may see them in a certain way it gives them um, a platform to speak up and demonstrate you know that they know things too you know and just Mm -hmm. because they may not be as proficient in English um, there's some English things that they might know that other students may not know and so it's it's a really um it kind of prevents that pigeonholing um, from our end as teachers, but also um, from from their end as peers with each other and their end as an individual student to themselves. So I really believe strongly in the the equal participation expectation that's embedded yeah. in these rules. And I think related to that is um, like there are lessons that I think teachers who do reading and writing workshops are would be comfortable embedding in this where I know that you, you do a lot of instruction around um, of uh, text features of different texts that they're using and we often encourage students to use short texts for the group reading so that they can go through them um, with you know with some quickness without being stuck in it for too long 
um <clears throat> and that really also helps to create like an entry point like you might not know what you want to say but you know that that is a caption of a photo and so that's right. like your contribution and it's a way to share something about the text that you're noticing um and i know like in my class one thing i had done is i'll choose a text about um like a person that they're really familiar with like bad bunny mm-hmm. who i know nothing about <laughs> other than he's a singer and i will read through it and show them like okay there's so much here that i don't understand mm-hmm. and it doesn't have anything to do with intelligence or how much of an education right. you've had or even how much english you know that we all will engage with the text that at any given point um we will be the expert and reading with somebody else is really the way through it and um as teachers like our role within all of this aside from managing the groups making sure everyone is signed up for a text and then everybody has a text um we focus on just teaching into the three rules over and over mm-hmm. and like walking over to groups and just saying oh i noticed nobody here has stopped to talk or yes it doesn't look like there's a lot of annotations here yes so that's um, that's actually something that i use all the time when they try to say oh miss i'm done and then I go over yeah. and I'm like, okay, so like, let's read through this paragraph. Tell me what it's about. And we'll read and, you know, I'll notice there's a, a, a word. I know they did not look up because it, you know, based on their description, they're missing something. And so then it's like, okay, so you guys broke rule number two. Why didn't anyone stop at this word, you know? And then we keep going and it's, you know, inevitable that there's probably more that they did not stop on, especially if they, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote, finished reading the text in like five or 10 minutes. So it's, it's, that's, that's a way you can teach into it too, is by like, okay, well, let's, you know, I was with this group today, but let me read with you guys for five minutes and let's see, you know, what you've done. And if it turns out the text was too simple, then that's a great, you know, that's a positive reinforcement. Like, oh, great. You guys really did know this text. So next time let's make sure to choose something that's a little bit more challenging. So there'll be more things that you can, you know, have questions about right and discuss. I think it's really um, because we focus so much in just the three rules and the three rules really allow for discussion and digging deeper into the text it it's a it's an easy way to replace um, or go in hand in hand with guided reading because it's it's something that the students quickly learn to lead on their own right and I've seen it done with students at different age levels, um, but it's, I think, particularly helpful at the high school level because like you said, so many times a kid will read a text and feel like they finished. Mm-hmm. And they it's partly because they've internalized um, a really shallow understanding of what... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this really allows us to teach into it over and over again without it feeling like we're teaching them something new every right. time it's more like a way to enhance how you're reading in a group mm-hmm. absolutely um and some of the things that we do as teachers also in terms of so like we see ourselves as coaches coaching into the three rules as a way for students to engage but we'll also take notes on dialogue i do something called the five snippets and i'll go through and i'll sit with each group for five minutes and i'll take a snip of, of their and so they know like in that moment they really should be demonstrating to me what they understand as like what the three rules expect of them and it allows me to notice like how they're engaging with each other and if the um transcript that i take is particularly good i'll use it for a lesson the next day Mm -hmm. and so that way students can see 
just through discussion, what are things that students are learning from um, a text? Yeah, and I like to actually have the text that they're reading, like a copy of it in front of me. And I'm just annotating and note-taking based on what they're saying. Um, and what I really like about that is sometimes they look at me like, oh my gosh, we said all that? Like, <laughs> and they wanna, you know, right. add to their annotations based off of what I've written down and that they've, you know, said. Um, and also it's a good way to see if there's balance, right? Are all, is, are the rules being followed? Or is everyone participating equally or is there one kind of dominating, right? And if, mm -hmm. if they are, if, if we are reading with them and, and doing the note taking with that particular group, you can, or I guess we have, right, interjected to kind of redirect them back to the protocols as a reminder, like, okay, well, you're kind of going off in this direction, let's stick to the protocol and the rules. And, and, and then um, by doing that over and over, they get, they're able to do that themselves over time. Yeah, I think that's really important what you're saying about like them internalizing the, the protocol because we don't, in the beginning, do a lot of instruction necessarily around this reading strategy versus that reading strategy versus unpacking this word this way. It's more about internalizing the rules in the beginning so that they can um, kind of enter into it in a more automatic mm -hmm. way. And then it allows us to kind of um, take more of an active role sometimes in the group because that is a big difference between guided reading and our approach to reading instruction is that we don't sit down with each group knowing, um, okay, everybody is this level, they're all reading the same text, right. and I have this teaching point. It's very organic and it um, relies on contingency scaffolding, which is like in the moment, what am I noticing? And how am I teaching into them figuring this out? Which we'll mm -hmm. outline more in um, a future blog post. Yeah. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about like how that translates into our independent reading protocols. Sure. So um, we still have the protocols and kind of, I guess, it's more like a framework because we divide up into like before reading what you need to do and get done for yourself during reading what you should be doing and then like an after reading um, follow up. So before reading, students, are, um, you know, they have to situate themselves in the room, make sure that it's quiet, they don't have any distractions. And um, if it's the first time that they're reading the text and they need to think about what text features do they see, what genre they're reading, um, and think about how those aspects are going to influence how they're going to read the text, but also maybe give them clues that they, um, might make it easier to enter, you know, to start reading the text. Um, and if it's not their first time, then they should review their notebooks or reading responses or post-its or whatever form they use to document their thinking from the last time they read. And we usually also have them set a goal um, in terms of what they want to get out of reading that day. Um, and so that's just um, kind of tied into our executive functioning skills and also having them be intentional with their reading and thinking about what they want to get out of it. Um, yeah. And during reading is, is similar in that they should be annotating as they read. Um, we have them annotate for vocabulary um, as well as their questions and thoughts, which you could also kind of extend that into what emotional reaction they're having as they're reading. Um, yeah, I try to, we try to make it really open 
so that students are able to identify the thoughts they're having first mm-hmm. and then as they become more comfortable with that and sophisticated they can then categorize it and name it as like okay now I know that what I'm doing is um empathizing with the character or I'm noticing like a particular action the author is doing here and Mm -hmm. I'm questioning what the author is doing yeah and interestingly enough like even if say they don't know a lot of the words right if it's a really complex text or again they're new to the to the language like for the most part they may not be able to explain uh, describe or translate all the words but if I if you say okay well like how do you feel do you feel like this is a positive or a negative thing like which direction are we going in here um, most of the time they're able to identify which is funny because when you think of analyzing the tone right of a text like that's mm-hmm. a advanced literary strategy but they're able to pick up on at least those directions and that gives them a starting point to kind of oh okay like I get I'm, I'm, there's something that I, that I am understanding and that I can hold on to in this moment. So I'm thinking like um, what would be really helpful for anyone who's listening to the podcast is to check out some of the posts that we have on the blog that are related to some of what we're discussing here. Like um, there's one that I have called Our Vision as Teachers that would be we would love to have some feedback on and and you have one called welcome to the rebellion so um so that's a wrap for today yes so um thank you so much for taking time from the thousand other things you're doing as a teacher planning grading um anything else that you've taken time away from to listen to what we have to say um, in order to make your classroom a place where kids want to learn. And again, we really do hope that you check out um, our posts. We know that there are folks listening and and visiting the the blog and we just really want to hear from you. So if you have time to just drop us a line, um, we'd really appreciate it. And we want to end with a quote from Donald Murray and it's if you tell your students what to say and how to say it you may never hear them only the pale echoes of what they imagine you want them to be thanks